this Bible study, it's a fairly sobering one. It's not one that you can be jovial or light about. In fact, fact, I think it's one that's worth some sober thought and contemplation. Because as I said a little earlier in our worship service today, we really, really do live in climactic times. I think it's good to enjoy life. I think it's really good to to be positive. I try to be myself and to laugh. Amen. Don't we all like laughing? Um, but I think there are some things coming to us as a church. I think there are some things coming to our world. It's hard to smile about it. Now, I often wonder, God, well, why did you put me in this time? Why do, as a human being, I have to live at the end of time? I think my grandmother, I'll talk about her a little bit, she died at 104 years of age. She had a good life. Yeah, she went through the Great Depression, she went through two world wars, but she lived in Australia and she had a pretty good life. She died at 101, not 104, 101, I'm putting years on her. And she died in the Lord. And when the Lord comes, she'll be able to say, thank you for my life that I lived in comparative peace. Yeah, there were hard times, but she lived in peace. But that is not the world you're called to live in. It's not the world you've been born into. You will not live the life my grandmother lived. Because if the signs keep unravelling at the rate they are, Some of the things I'm about to talk about in the next few weeks are going to happen and they're going to happen in your lifetime. And if we are to go through these climactic events, some of which I'll talk about today and next week, next week we're going to talk about Sabbath, Sunday, the laws that will come in that the Bible clearly shows. I'm going to do it only from the Bible. And you start to see some of these things that are going to unravel. If you're going to live in these times and if you're going to live... With joy. Now, do you have joy in your heart this morning? Some do, some don't. Some in here do, some don't. I happen to come to church, praise the Lord, this morning with joy. If you've got God in your heart, you've got joy. And the reason you've got joy, it's not some some uh, uh, transient thing up there in the air that's just a feeling of, of being feeling good. Joy is a is a peace. That, that passes through you so that when you look at the stock market collapsing this week, you don't go, oh, there goes my superannuation. And you don't worry about your bank account and you don't worry about your investments and you don't worry too much about your job because you know you've got Jesus. And if you've got Jesus, you've got joy and you've got peace. And my prayer is that as you go through this experience in the next few years that you will have peace. Um, I remember at a very traumatic time in my life, I wasn't sleeping I was struggling. And I remember going out one Friday night, a Friday evening, a Friday night into the paddock behind my house. 
and I had no joy and I had no peace. It was a time of trauma. Now, the reason I'm taking a few moments before we get into this Bible study this morning is I want you to go. I pray that you, I pray that New Hope, the people of New Hope, I pray that those who watch us on television, who, who look at us online, I pray and I pray it from my heart that you will go through these times ahead of us with peace and joy. I really do. This is not a time where Christians, where followers of God should be in anxiety, should be afraid. We should be going ahead, walking through these troubled times. We should be going ahead, walking through them in peace and joy and in full assurance with our roots put deep into Jesus because the world needs us to go through like that. Amen. The world can't afford for the Christian church. It can't afford for Adventism to be in the same upheaval, in the same anxiety and fear that they are in. Because they are looking for a way out and we have the way out. It's Jesus Christ, but they will never look at us and they will never come to our churches and to our message unless they see the peace in us and the joy that they're so desperately searching for. Amen. So I had no joy, I had no peace. I'm in this, this field outside my house. It was a time of great trauma. We've got to learn to go through times of great trauma in our world and joy and peace. And I fell on my knees and I said it, and you can do this too today. And I said, God, I've got no peace. I claim to follow you, I've got nothing. I've got no joy. I can't bring peace to myself. I can't bring joy. No matter how I try to concoct it, it's not coming. Lord, I'm in trauma. I learned a lesson that night because as I prayed that prayer and I poured my heart out to God and I said, Lord, I've got nowhere to go but you. This great peace, this great peace descended upon me like I'd never experienced in my whole life. And now whenever I feel the trauma start, I feel, I feel, I feel the anxiety and the fear starting to rise up inside of me because of the trauma of this world. I retreat. Where do I retreat? To who? To Jesus. And he gives me rest and peace. So as we look at this this morning, I want you to look at it through the eyes of someone who has an experience with Jesus, who has joy and peace. This is not, I'm not presenting this to stir you up and cause fear. Like the three little girls I was doing Bible studies with on the Gold Coast, I told you about a few sermons ago. I'm doing studies on this sort of stuff and I looked across and here's three little girls with three with big tears coming down their faces. I thought, oh, I'm traumatising these girls with the Bible. (laughs) I don't want that for you. I want you to know that you can go through this with Jesus with full assurance. Amen? 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 Let's pray. Lord, as we open the Bible now, I pray again for your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, may people leave this place today because you've spoken to them. And because you've given them hope, is my prayer in your name. Amen. The Battle of Armageddon, it's this last great end time battle that every church, every religion, every denomination seems to have a view on. The Battle of Armageddon. Adventism has had some views on it. Did you know that? In fact, when I did some study into this, I found that there are at least four positions that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has concluded on over the last 150 or so years. 
from 1846 to 1871, and I'll just give you a little bit of history right from the beginning, we believe that the Battle of Armageddon was a climactic struggle between the forces of Christ on one side and the forces of Satan on the other. It was a worldwide struggle, not, not just tied to a place or a legendary place called Armageddon. And, and as the forces of, of, of good and evil, of light and darkness clashed, Jesus would come and finish it. And that's what our early church pioneers believed. And they believed that from 1846 to about 1871. And I'll tell you what about the early pioneers. These were men and women I think we could learn from. They were students of the Bible. They were excited. I'm looking forward to when we see this sort of excitement in the church of God today, in Adventism. They were excited to study the Bible. You know what they were really excited to study? Prophecy. They loved it. They'd gather. You can go back. You can read the stories. They would gather in their homes, say, on a Tuesday night. They'd gather as the sun went down. They'd have their lanterns. They'd have their Bibles. There was no, no phones. There was no uh, computer Bibles. They just had, there was no computers. They just had Bibles. And they'd open their Bibles and they'd gather and they're excited. This is like going to a blockbuster movie for them. And they get into the Bible. And I tell you, when you're into the Bible like that, the Holy Spirit comes down into the, into the home, into the hearts, into the minds. Amen. And they're excited and they're studying. Our pioneers came up with some of the most amazing conclusions from their studies of prophecy. And sometimes I see, and there's a temptation to do this, people in the church, often scholars, and they look back on these guys with scorn. Well, you be careful if you do that today. Because most of them were praying more and studying more than we ever did, done or have. Amen. And they come up with some pretty good conclusions, which at the very least are worth considering. Then in 1871 to 1903, we kind of changed position and we believe that it's a struggle of the nations in Palestine and that was ending in the second coming. So it's a great battle, probably between Turkey and her allied armies in the east and Britain, America and the west. There may not have been a real good or bad in this battle, but it was going to be a great battle and it would end with Jesus coming. And some of you might be old enough to remember that because it didn't just go from 1871 to 1903. In fact, in 1903, they added to this belief where they said not only will it be a great battle between Turkey and Islam and the West, but it will end in a great physical battle. You can imagine tanks and planes and soldiers all on this plain of Megiddo over there in Israel, millions and millions. We don't fight wars like that anymore, do we? Do we? Do we line up on a plane and go at it like that anymore? No. And so by 1952, that third definition was wandering away. And you know what we did? We went back to the, which one? The first one. That's kind of where we are today. It is a climactic struggle by the forces of darkness on one side, led by Rome, spiritualism, the new age, apostate Protestantism, in fact, led by Rome, but really encompassing every single major rebellion against God. 
kind of scary to think some Adventists might be in that group. So they're on one side, on the other side is the people of God who have the faith of, what's that? Righteousness by, these people are saved because they've got on the robe of Jesus and because they've got on the robe of Jesus and they're in love with him, they keep the, do the commandments of God get these people to heaven? Is it, is it the commandments of God that set these people apart? Is it the commandments of God that set these people apart? Is that the, is that the instrumental? So when people look at them, is that what they see? Commandment keepers. So, so you've got the people who are, are part of the forces of darkness. They're part of the armies of Armageddon. And really, really we believe, uh, the whole world that hasn't accepted Christ. You got them on this side. When they look over this side, <sighs> doing a bit of exercise today. <laughs> at the people of God, when they look at them, is it, when they look at them, they say, wow. They are commandment keepers. That's what attract, is that what attracts them and brings them? So is, is it the commandments that set them apart? Is it the commandment keeping that is attracting them over to the light? <laughs> Don't you ever love a Seventh Day Adventist crowd? What sets them apart is that they are saved by the blood of Christ. And what's the word after that? Alone. That's what's attracting the world to the church. It's not the commandment keeping. The commandment keeping is a beautiful fruit and it will be there. Aaron, right? It will be there. Amen. But that's not what is attracting people to the church, and it's what it's not what it's not what sets the church apart. What is setting the church apart, and what is drawing people to Christ, is the, that they see a people in joy and peace because they they have on the robe of Christ's righteousness. And when the Adventist church gets that message, we will rise up, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will finish the work. The work will not be finished and the light of Christ will not go over to the darkness until we have that conversion experience with Christ. Amen? That's very important, that. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about Armageddon. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 13. Do you know that in the Old Testament... Armageddon's mentioned 10, maybe 12 times. Never ever is it mentioned in the context of the end times or a great battle. It's just Megiddo. It's just identified as a place in ancient Israel, surrounded by towns. This is the one time in the New Testament that's mentioned. I'm going to read five verses. Starting Revelation 16, verse 13. I'm reading from the NLT. You read from your Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, watch the screen. This is end time, by the way. This is future. Hasn't happened yet. This is coming. 
Verse 13. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and the armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple saying, It is finished. Get a feel, get a sense here of what's happening. Jesus stands up. This is God. This is Yahweh in the temple in heaven. And his voice peals out across the universe when he cries, it is finished down on earth where we live. The entire world has been gathered. Now, the Bible doesn't say part of the world. It says the entire world has been gathered into a loose alliance against Christ, against God and against his people. You're kind of getting the scene here. Look what happens. Then the thunder crashed and rolled and lightning flashed and a great earthquake struck. The worst since people were placed on the earth. Something's happening here which is huge. The whole world, obviously the whole world can't be together on a plane in Megiddo lined up to do battle against God. There is some symbolic aspects to this, but it's based in reality. I want you to stop and think for a moment. The whole world is lined up in rebellion against God. The the whole world. This kind of really sobers me. Jesus himself in Luke eleven eighteen says, I don't know whether you know this passage, talking to his disciples, and Jesus says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Do you know it? I can read it from here. I tell you, says Jesus, he will grant justice to them quickly. Look at this. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Another version says, will I, and I like the other version because I think it's clear. Jesus says, will I find faith on the earth? Now I want, want to stop because I want to talk to Adventists here for a moment. I want to talk to Christians for a moment. Jesus says, will I find faith on the earth? And I want you to look at your life. What constitutes faith? How many of you here today can say, and Lord help me as I share this message. How many of you here today can say that I have faith? I have a relationship with Jesus that I can rely on and the fruits of my faith are there in my life. Now it's easy when we're talking about this sort of thing to talk about the bad things in our world. But it alarms me. I'm on Facebook. You know that. Um, 5,000 friends on one page. I don't know any of them. 500 on the other one, and I know all of them. So one's my close friends. The other one's is, is one I used to share the Lord. So I watch what people do, and then I look at my own life. And I see what's happening on in my own life. And I'm asking myself, as I face these tumultuous times, is Lloyd's life one of faith? And are the fruits there? If Jesus was to come today, truly, would Lloyd be covered by the robe? Have I got a relationship with him? Have I asked him? Is my life covered by the robe of his righteousness? And when that happens, are the fruits there? Or am I a Seventh-day Adventist, a Christian going to church every Sabbath, going to church every week, 
and the fruits aren't there. How far can I take this today? Can I talk examples? I'm saying this because I love people and, and I love my own life. I want to live. It alarms me immensely. Remember, the world is dividing into two groups right now for the Battle of Armageddon. It alarms me immensely when I see the people of God rushing off to watch this movie and that movie. It's almost like there's no sensor in our heads. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you know what that says to me? Now, no, I can get up here as a preacher. I've done it in the past. I'm trying not to do it too much because it doesn't work. But here's a warning. I can't think of a recent blockbuster movie in the last, say, three or four months, because I can't remember any further back than that, that I could have went to, that I would have went to if I was in an on-fire relationship with Christ. I mean, we talked the other day about Star Wars. How can I go to that? And how can I watch it? And how can I be entertained by it? This is a series where super Jedis, with their hands, move objects from there over to there and fight in the supernatural realm. Do you hear what I'm saying, folks, or am I being too hard? Huh? Or I look at the music that is bombarding our minds and our hearts, and it's like as a people we don't even have the ability to see it anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like our consciences have become so dead that we think we're a part of this world, but in reality, the fruits in our lives tell us we're a part of this one. Do do you hear what I'm saying? I reckon it's time. Look, I put myself preeminent here. I have to do it. You have to do it. We have to stop and look at our lives. And I think there is a time when we need to look at the fruits in our lives. What are we watching on television? What are, look, I'm not a pastor who says don't go to the movies. If you're going to watch a movie, you might as well watch the movie or on television. Makes no difference. Amen. True. Makes no difference. It's not where you're watching, it's what you're watching. We need to stop. What are we watching? What are we feeding into our minds? What are we being entertained by? What are we listening to? Where are the fruits? Am I walking with Jesus? Do the fruits show it? Because they are one of the best signs you can tell. Do the fruits show in my life I'm walking with Jesus? Or am I in darkness? Where where am I? Then the thunder crashed and rolled and lightning flashed and a great earthquake struck. The worst since people were on the earth, the great city of Babylon. This great alliance 
of every power, of every church, of every denomination, of every movement and of every person who does not follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not covered by his robe of righteousness. The Bible says here they're called Babylon. The Bible says the great city of Babylon, these movements, religions, churches, denominations, people, the great city of Babylon split into three sections. And the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared and all the mountains were leveled. There was a terrible hailstorm and hailstorms weighing as much as 75 pounds, almost 40 kilos fell from the sky onto the people below and they cursed God because of the terrible plague of hailstorm. One of the things that I think the Christian church has made a mistake of doing is presenting a God who's not a sovereign God. Does God love us? His love is best displayed and depicted on what Jesus did when he came down and died on the cross for us. His love is deep. You can't measure his love. Jesus, God, is calling you to follow him today before it's too late. He says, my blood is there. My robe is here. I will take your sins. I will take every crime, every dirty deed, Everything you've done that causes you shame and guilt that is sin, he says, give it to me and I'll give you this robe back. My robe of my righteousness, of my perfection, of my sinlessness. Here, I will put it on you. I will wrap you in it so it covers you from head to foot so that when you go to the judgment, all God the Father sees is me and I am perfect, says Jesus. I am sinless. You can have eternity. That's love, amen? God loves you. But I think the Christian church, maybe Adventism's fallen into us a bit too, has made a mistake in not presenting the full face of God. He is the sovereign of the earth. He is going to come back soon. The battle of Armageddon is going to happen. He will split the sky open. We looked at this last week. There'll be angels from one end of the sky to the other. His voice will appear, will peal out across the earth and the dead in Christ will rise from their graves. All the while this is happening, there's an enormous earthquake renting the world apart, splitting it in two. God has come to save and God has come to judge. This is the twofold aspects of his nature that often we don't present as a church. He is the sovereign judge. And we have seen it time after time in the Bible studies as we have read the scripture. God is the sovereign judge. God, it was God who came down and slew the Assyrians. It was God who slew the enemies of Israel. It was God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And we are struggling with that reality. Amen? Amen. God is a sovereign. And the world is struggling with the reality that God is a sovereign. Amen? 
He is a sovereign and he is coming back and he is coming back to save his people. But he's also coming back to judge. There was a terrible hailstorm and hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. Pretty clear in the scripture that the battle of Armageddon is a great contest between God and his people and the rest of the world led by Satan before Jesus comes. And the thing that will end the battle of Armageddon is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes, it's going to be a great shock to a lot of people. And it's going to be a great shock to a lot of Adventists. And this warning message is about you in this time of freedom, while you can still make a choice choosing Christ, this world is going to come to an end. God will no longer, and very soon God will no longer look at the injustices and blink his eye and not act. These things that are going on in Syria where children and women and the innocent are being slaughtered. God is going to stop it. Amen? Amen. When you look at our own culture, when you see the abuse, the sexual and the physical abuse of our children, you look at the Royal Commission, and if you're Christian, You can't help but shudder looking at that as you see what has happened to our children in the church. Shame, amen, shame. This is going to stop. God's tolerance of it is almost at an end and he will not continue to watch as harm and pain is inflicted on our little ones destroying their lives. I'm on... I'm on Facebook yesterday afternoon, getting ready for church, putting my announcements about today, and up comes a post of a group of young people in Canberra, and they're standing around, I guess it was a Friday or Saturday night, probably late, and they're talking, and and I was horrified as out of the corner of a camera, and some of you may have seen it, a young man steps forward and he smashes another young man to the ground. Did you see that, some of you? God looks down at that. It will not continue. As a sovereign, there will come a time where God says, no more. He will stand up and he will say, it is finished. Now, before that time comes, and I don't know when it will be, but I think it will be soon, we as a church are called to do two things, only two things. Only two things. Now, I, I want to share with you again, and you'll think I'm anti this sort of thing, but I, I don't think this is the time for the people of God to be investing in houses, running the world, travelling and doing all that. It's not the time anymore. Because the two things God calls us to do is, number one, through Christ, get ourselves ready. Amen? And you ought to go home today and take that part of this message very seriously. Get yourself ready to meet Jesus. And the way you do that is get on your knees, invite him into your heart and get that robe around you. The second thing he calls you to do is what? Tell others. Now, don't get me wrong, and I've got to keep clarifying myself. 
I'm not telling you not to go on a holiday. I'm going on one soon. But I'm telling you to keep it in perspective. Do you hear me? If you're going to go on a holiday, if you're going to go on a holiday, or if you're going to invest, say God's given you the gift of business. If you're going to invest and make money, it's come time for you to invest and make money for the Lord's work. Amen? We need to stop spending so much money on ourselves. And I'll say that straight. We need, Lloyd, you need to stop it. We need to stop it. If you're going to go on holidays, praise God. If you're going to go overseas, hallelujah. But you go on holidays and you go overseas with your eyes opening, looking for every single opportunity you can to share Christ. So hallelujah. If you're on the snowfields of Aspen or the snowfields of Europe, hallelujah. You look to share Christ. And if you're spending five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on a holiday, then you better be spending a hundred thousand dollars on the cause of God. Amen. Now, now I'm not making, saying this to make you feel bad. I'm telling you because I think that we need to sh- we need to change our focus. Hallelujah. We need to start looking up. We're not staying here for much longer. We're going to go home. And if we're going to go home, we've got to focus that we're going up there. You know, if you're going on a large trip, you prepare for it. I've got a daughter, Danae, and I'm finishing. I've got two minutes, that says to me. I've got a daughter, Danae. When she's going away, she starts packing a week before she goes. <laughs> when I'm going away, guess what I start packing? <laughs> About an hour before the plane goes. <laughs> so when we get to where we're going, so say we're going to see, visit Grandma and Grandpa up in Brisbane. Um, Danae gets there. Is anything missing? No, she's got too much, man. She's, she's porting 50 kilos onto the plane. I've got about three, so we kind of still get on. i got stuff missing all the time. In fact, I can't remember going up to visit Grandma and Grandpa and not having to go and buy something, whether it's a pair of pants or a shirt or some other stuff. <laughs> because she's prepared. And if you get nothing out of this little Bible study this morning other than anything else, prepare. Uh, don't go away and say, oh, Lloyd said don't go on holidays or Lloyd said don't invest. Look, if you're investing, if you're a businessman, praise God. Work to get your business bigger. Work to get your business more powerful, making more money so you can do what? Finish the gospel. You don't need pastors to tell you where to put the money. God will direct you. Hallelujah. He'll tell you. He'll tell you where to put your money, when to put your money. I kind of, I was talking to Lizzie the other day. We made a deal with the Lord. Well, I have. <laughs> I think Liz has made it. Look, I'll sell my farm and give it to the cause of God. But God's got to tell me when. Amen? True? And he's got to show me where to put it. So if you're making money, keep making money. But start focusing on what you can do to advance Christ. If you're investing, keep investing. But use your investments to advance Christ. If you travel, and you must travel, and that's a part of who you are, then turn away from just travelling for fun and pleasing yourselves and start to work out where you can travel to advance who? 
Can we do that? I've travelled the whole world from one end to the other. I'll close on this. I was um, 26, 27. I had some money and the Lord called me to the ministry and I wanted to go travelling for a year. And I said, no, I'm not going to do ministry. I'll do it in another year's time, Lord. I'm going to go travel. The Lord told me something. He said, Lloyd, in my Bible study, he said, if you follow me, I will make sure you travel. Amen? So I said, all right, I'll take a bet on you, God. I've been betting on God a long time. So I took my bet on the Lord. Do you know that since I bet on the Lord, I have been to the United States countless times. I've been to Europe many, many times. I've been to Asia. I've even been to Africa. The only continent I haven't been to is the South Pole or the North Pole, and that's probably because there's no one much who lives there. But I've gone there every single time in the cause of God. I've got to go to, I have to go to Indonesia in a few weeks. I have to go, don't I, Liska? Yes, I have to go. I'll go there with my eyes open in the cause of who? God. Do, do you get what I'm saying or, not, or am I? Do you get it? So prepare yourself. Get yourself right with the Lord. Go to him. Let him save you. And then share. And when this great battle of Armageddon comes, you'll be on the right with the sheep, well way away from the goats. Amen. And the reason you'll be there is because of the love of Jesus for you and that you responded to it. That's what this message is about. I wish it was a Sabbath school lesson. I'd open to questions now. Wouldn't that be good? Hallelujah. Anyway, it's not. So I want to invite our, our team forward. We're going to sing this beautiful song as we finish Love Lifted Me. And then next Sabbath, we're going to talk about the Sunday law, the Sabbath, and what part it has to do in the end times. Let's just bow our heads. If you'd like to be with the Lord on his side when he returns, if you'd like to be on the winning side in the battle of Armageddon, and today you'd like to invite him to put his robe of righteousness around you and to take your sins and the crimes that you've committed against God and pay for them on the cross and give you his robe in return. If you really want to be saved, just want you to put your hand up to respond to the Lord. Leave your hand there because I want to pray. Lord, you can see the hands and the hearts of the people here in the church of the people online and watching this on television. These are very serious times. The world is cracking apart and we live in a Western culture which is immersing us in its selfishness and its self-centeredness. But Father, this morning we've made a decision for you. We want to follow you. We want to invite you into our hearts. We want to be baptised by your Holy Spirit. Hear the cry of our lives, Lord. I pray, Jesus, as we finish this program today, that as a people you will drive us back to our Bibles, into daily Bible studies. Lord, compel us to get on our knees and to spend time with, real time with you in prayer 
And Lord, convict us of our need for you and of things in our lives that you would like to change so that we can. We just want to reflect you more, Lord, so that when people in the world see us, they see you and are attracted. Lord, we want to, we want to finish the work. We want to go home. But we recognize we can't do that unless you've converted us. So this morning as I close this program, I pray God, in the name of Jesus, convert us. Soften our hard hearts. Help us to hear your voice. And help us to recognize and to realize, Lord, that you put us in this end time because you chose us to do the work. Help us to see the potential inside of ourselves, not inside of us, but through you that we, we can be. Bless this church, New Hope. Bless everyone in it. And may 2016 be a year where many, many souls are one to your kingdom through the people in this church is my prayer in your name. Amen.